0: From University of Alberta Alumni Relations, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray.
1: The other piece that I love to, to tell students all the time, and I don't think we tell this enough to each other in society, is that they're worth it. That you're worth it. I mean, we're all great in our own way and, and, you're, and you're worth it. And, and it's okay not to know what you're gonna be great at, but there's something you're great at and, and find that passion and hold on to it. My
0: guest this episode is Jimmy Quinlan. Jimmy is a high school math teacher but he's best known for his long career in pro lacrosse. He played eight seasons with the Edmonton Rush and had his number retired at Rexall Place in 2013. I talked to Jimmy about what he learned from working odd jobs, how being a professional athlete influences his teaching, and why failure can sometimes be a good thing. What the job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that... Through the TD Insurance Mellish Monics program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance. Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash uAlbertaAlumni.
1: So what's your name and what's your job? Uh, my name is uh, Jimmy Quinlan and I am a junior high slash high school teacher. And you teach math. Correct. I teach uh, mathematics 9, um, as well as phys ed from grade 7 to 12 at Vimy Ridge Academy.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the path of how you got there, because you have quite a winding career. You played professional cross for quite a while.
1: Yes. I. My path to where I ended up today is one that is um, entertaining, to say the least. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did play some professional lacrosse I was fortunate enough to have a career that spanned I believe nine years if my memory serves me correct if I haven't been hit in the head too many times and then I was fortunate enough to coach um for five years uh in in the at the professional level and then you went uh straight from there into being
0: to being a teacher pretty much coaching teaching
1: well so basically the the league I played in was the national lacrosse league and um for fans of sports in Edmonton, you may recall the Edmonton Rush. So the way that league works is it's primarily played on the weekend. Um, so I actually, in 2007, began my teaching career um, while I was playing. So my, uh, my week looked like Monday to Friday or Monday to Thursday I was teaching in the classroom, and then I'd be hopping on a, a plane and flying to various cities throughout North America to, to play on the weekend, and then I would be back Monday in the classroom teaching again. So, um, How did you
0: balance that? Because I'm assuming you have to train, you have to practice, you have to stay in shape for playing, and also you have to be sharp for the classroom. How did you do both?
1: Well, my time at the university um, really prepared me for that. I was fortunate enough that uh, I spent my first few years um, in the league while going to university, so I had to balance kind of a workload already once I became a teacher, Um, again, it was just kind of prioritizing um, what was needing to be done and and what I felt um, mattered in my life. So, uh, you know, there wasn't probably a lot of weekends where I went out with my friends um, or even weeknights for that matter. Um, The day was spent teaching, the evening was spent training, and then you'd be right back at it. And then that was kind of the weekend. So um, I think it was something I'd love. I still love to this day and it was easy to do. Hmm. I guess if easy, if you,
0: if you want to do it.
1: Well, easy in the sense that I enjoyed doing what I was doing in terms of balancing, it wasn't easy. And there was, you know, some weeks that were rougher than others. But again, I was fortunate in that I had a lot of supports um, both family wise and at work um, that allowed me to do it. What are some of the things that people might not know about playing sports at that high level? Well, I I think the the one thing that a lot of times is overlooked and you see it a lot of times when athletes transition from uh, the university or college level to a professional level is that a lot of it falls on the individual. Um, So there's no longer team lifting sessions or or team training sessions and it falls a little bit more on the individual to make sure they're getting their, their work in. And so it does take, you know some discipline and some balance, uh, but at the end of the day, when you love it, it, it's not that, you know, hard of a thing to do. When were you thinking to yourself,
0: uh, I can, I want to play at the highest levels of lacrosse?
1: Well, I was probably in about in high school, probably grade 11, 12. I kind of started to compete in some national tournaments and have some good team success as well as individual success. Um, and then I was fortunate; there was a couple of uh, kids, so to speak, that were a little bit older than me that had went off and had. Success that I kind of was able to to, to follow in their footsteps, and um, it wasn't always easy. I, I I didn't always make the teams. Um, I was drafted in two thousand and two to to the Calgary Roughnecks, um, and I got cut that year. And I, I didn't actually make the league till two thousand and five. So um, things weren't always good. Um, things weren't always easy. But again. I, I knew that if I kind of kept working at it, um, it wasn't necessarily whether I made it or not. It was the fact that I was actually going to put in an effort and try. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to make it. So I, w- I wasn't always the best. And I think um, those characteristics that I'd learned along the way of the, the, the resiliency and just controlling what you can control. I, I think you hear that a lot nowadays in, in sports where they talk about trusting the process and the outcome will take care of itself. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was learning those things. And, you know, now to this day, I I look outside, it's minus 30. I don't even worry about it because I got no control over it. And so I I think that's one of the things I've learned along the way is that um, you'll be okay, the world will continue, um, and it's okay to not know what you want to do, and it's okay to fail. When did you decide that you weren't going to play lacrosse anymore professionally? Oh, that's – there's a humbling experience. I went from being kind of like – Role player when I started in Toronto. We came to Edmonton with their expansion team in 2006. I was kind of one of the focal point players for about the first five years. And then I went from offense, which is the kind of the glory position from scoring the goals, to transition, to eventually defense, to eventually they moved me out. So it was probably my 10th year. I actually got a phone call from the coach, and uh, I said how excited I was for camp. And his reaction on the other end of the phone was, we don't really think we have a position for you. And that was probably one of the hardest punches I've ever taken to the gut because I had done everything and anything to prepare. And, I, and and you know what? I look back on it and I'm happy I, I, I put the work in. And, and again, he's one of the men in the world I look up to the most. Um because he was honest with me and he was, it it, it was hard honesty, but he was honest with me and he said, don't worry. I I think we'll find something for you if you're interested in sticking around. And I did have the opportunity to go play for some other teams, but I Edmonton had been so good to me and it was home and I I liked where I was. I, I, you know, took a, took a chance on what he was saying. And a few days later, the defensive coach had uh, another child and was stepping down. And so he asked me to take that position. So, um, again, for those people who are wondering why things happen, I think there's a reason. Sometimes you don't know it at the time, but um, eventually you'll, you'll find it and um, there'll be some meaning to it. So I was lucky. I was lucky. So um, at the time I didn't like it, but when I look back on it, I think I I couldn't have scripted a better way for my career to go.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you what you've learned um, playing lacrosse that you apply to your life or your job right now. And it seems like one thing that you've learned is that failure is a good thing and you should embrace it. How do you, how would you talk to someone who's afraid of failing or people who hold back because they're scared
1: of not being successful? I would say to think about the, the great, the greatness that could come from just even if you succeed, you know, I think so many times um, we we focus on the negative. I'm, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Brazilian. It's it's fitting that we're, we're talking about that right now, but I, it's a, It's a book and the gentleman's in, it's an audio book. I'm not going to pretend to read and read and read. I like to listen. Um, It's better than the radio in my car. We're pro listening here. Yeah, we're pro listening. Yeah. So I like, I'm listening to an audio book. It's resilient. And uh, he's talking about uh, your body, your your body and your mind remembers more negatives than positives. Hmm. Right. And so we tend to focus on the negative you know there's seldomly someone comes up to you and tells you about the great things that happened in their their day they tell you about the bad things that happened in your day and so i kind of like to 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 flip the script a little bit and try to find the positives that are going on and you know so when you do get cut like what can you what can you take from it what have you done well um and again like i would tell somebody who's who, who's hesitant to try that you know think about the greatness that could come from it right you're not getting anything right now really by not putting forth an effort. And the other piece that I love to, to tell students all the time, and I don't think we tell this enough to each other in society, is that they're worth it, that you're worth it. I mean, we're all great in our own way, and, and, you're, and you're worth it. And and it's okay not to know what you're going to be great at, but there's something you're great at, and, and find that passion and hold on to it. Aside, As an aside, I wrote, I had to write an
0: article about uh, called How to Skate Like Connor McDavid, and I had to interview a whole bunch of phys ed people about the different things and one of them was mindset. So I talked to a sports psychologist and she was talking about how good athletes when they cuz I was like how do you how do you get on how do you get on the field of the ice when you're someone who is like smaller than everyone else and everyone is out there is trying to hurt you. <laughs> right. How do you muster the courage? And her she said that good athletes will see it as an opportunity, a challenge for them to rise to. They don't think strictly about the negatives they're nervous and they can't avoid them but they think i'm ready
1: for this challenge does that happen a lot well i, I think it does i as soon as i hear that story the first thing that comes to mind is the book that uh, i always read when i was kind of in a lull athletically um and it usually had nothing to do with the physical traits it always had to do with the mind it had to do with, and, and the, the book's called mind gym and and in the book one of the the, the most vivid um stories I recall is the psychologist is talking about the golfer who steps up to the tee and there's water in front of them. And they sit there and they tell themselves, don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. And what they're doing is they're programming their brain to see the water. And then you wind up and you put the ball right in the middle of the water. And so if you can just change the way you see things and the way you view things. And, um, you know, a lot of times you might have to fake it, at first, and and you, we've all heard the saying, "fake it to make it." But I think eventually, if you just keep doing it, you start to view obstacles in a different way. You don't view them as, as they're insurmountable. You 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 view them as something that you can surpass. And when you surpass, there's going to be a great feeling. So, you know, in relation to the golfer, it's you know, see the grass, see the grass, see the grass. And and I've done it on the course, and the and the difference is, you know, it's there. And so. To try to get those, you know, those individuals who are kind of stuck, who are worried about, you know, failure, failure, failure. You know, think about the the, the bright side. Well, this is a work podcast, so I guess I should talk about uh, your work history.
0: And you, you, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and it's been quite eventful. You said you started in high school. You were sandblasting.
1: Yeah, it was, I was. I had sandblasted like summers of grade 10, 11, and twelve. It's uh, it's an interesting job. Um it's not fun in the sun when you got to put on a full, uh, suit and, and, and you know, it was, it was in the oil field work. It, it, but again, um, I learned a lot about the, uh, about myself in the, in those moments. Um, but yeah, so I would have done that in grades 10, 11, and 12. And then I carried it on once I graduated, cause I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't have too much pressure from my parents in terms of, you need to do this or that. Um, you know, they, m- my grandfather, best piece of advice he ever gave me was you'll do it when you're ready. And so I sandblasted, and that was kind of growing tiresome. So then I decided I would try my hat at radio and television at Nate. So I actually applied to two, two, uh, I guess, schools really there. I I tried to the construction engineering and uh, radio and arts. And the radio and arts was very difficult to get into, and I got rejected. Um, And I got into construction engineering, and one was a 17-week program, and one was a 16-week program. So I started the first week in i um, construction engineering, writing my letters on the draft board. And, I, and then halfway through on about a Wednesday, I got a phone call saying I got accepted into Radio Arts. Someone had dropped out. And so you want to make a change. You want to change. And I had no clue whether I wanted to change. I didn't know whether I wanted to be in construction engineering, whether I wanted to be in radio. I didn't know. I knew one was harder to get into the other. So I thought maybe go that route. Plus, it was less labor intensive. I liked to talk. I liked radio. I liked sports. I thought maybe there'd be an avenue there for me. So I went into radio and and I slowly started to realize while I was in there that I would have to probably give up my lacrosse and and I didn't again know what to do so I finished it out um and then from there I never took a job in radio I just continued playing lacrosse and, and started to um, do some other odds and end jobs while I was trying to figure some stuff out and, and continue trying to further my lacrosse career and then it was about I think 2003 or two I uh applied to the university in the in the faculty of native studies and i got accepted um again the history of lacrosse is deep in the in the native tradition so i thought that that might be something i wanted to do and then um once there i uh, switched into the faculty of education and i wanted to be a phys ed major and a math minor but i didn't have the grades to get into phys ed believe it or not it was lower than math but i think that's because of how many people want to be in phys ed versus math. And so I switched. So I went to a math major and a phys ed minor. And I took, oh, I always get made fun of from my family about how many years I took to get a four-year degree. But I enjoyed every minute of it. And then you worked while you were a student. I did, yeah. I was actually uh, um the delivery driver and kind of connoisseur at Baseline Wine and Spirits, which still exists in Sherd Park. So um, I actually really liked my time there and there was a lot of good stories and they were very supportive of my time uh, while I went through university. And I think that's how employers should be.
0: What do you think? Because you've worked so many odd jobs doing all kinds of things throughout as you were playing lacrosse or going to school. It seems like you were constantly busy, so you had to always balance your time. But I'm also wondering what you learned from these odd jobs. Like, did you find that there were skills that transitioned between them, even if you hated the job?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. And I, I, I thought, for me, it was it, it's fun to look back and to say, I've tried all those things, you know, to, to have worked in a few different industries. Because um, I think you can have a better understanding of, of, you know, what someone's day-to-day life might be like. Through it all, I think the biggest thing I learned was that um, it's okay to not know what you want to do. Um, and it's okay to change. I think it's okay to not know what you want to do. And I think it's okay to switch if you're doing something and it doesn't feel like it's right.
0: So just thinking about your yeah. radio,
1: cause you did radio and right. then you said you never worked a day in radio.
0: Yeah. Uh, was that something that concerned you? I think some people, when they do a degree in something, especially something that seems to have a path to a specific job. Right. They might think to themselves, I must do that job or otherwise I have... It's a bit of a sunk cost fallacy but they'll be like i spent all this time getting this degree all this money getting this degree if i don't do this job i've
1: failed yeah i never worked a day in radio i mean i've been on a lot of radio shows i've done some phone-ins through my lacrosse i always felt comfortable behind a microphone um but i never worked a day in radio and it you know people make like my sisters and brothers will they'll give me a hard time about it but it doesn't it, it i if i want to go back and work in radio i can try to go back and work in radio that's the way i see it i i I don't think just because you have a like my wife has a degree in education and she's not using it right now and I think that's great. I think you have every day for the rest of your life to work why be in a hurry to work like join like the workforce like you can mm.
0: conversely we might yeah. say
1: like your wife uses her ed degree all the time but in a different capacity yeah and and, and perfect yeah, she does because she does she works with people every day on a daily basis teaching them how to use the computer or do you know a, a number of tasks. Um, that they are asking or searching out the skills for and she's happy doing mm-hmm. what she's doing. So I think that idea of finding something you you love and holding on to it is more important than using your degree because you went to school for four years. And I think, I understand, and I understand the other side of it. I understand the, the side of the, I've invested time, I've invested energy and I've invested money. I think a lot of times though, that when, when we get into that, Mindset—it's we're not thinking about ourselves; we're thinking about what other people will view us on, Mm -hmm. and we and we get caught up in the oh, something must be wrong. I liken it to the person who I see a counselor, and people are like, "Oh, what's wrong with you?" And I'm like, "Nothing's wrong with me. I want to get better. Mm -hmm. I want to be a better version of myself." So you can look at it as what's wrong with you, but I'm going to look at it as I want to become a better person because if I can become a better person, I'm going to become a better father. I better support my students in the classroom, et cetera, et cetera. It goes down the line, and so it's that idea of being okay with whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's always, I think, also about you know building skills. You talk about bettering yourself so you can be better at being a father or being a teacher. Um, and I wonder, one thing I'm really interested in. So you're teaching now. Yeah. So you have classes full of students you have to yeah. manage and watch them grow and hopefully right. they improve and don't, you know, they show up to class and whatever. Uh, but I'm wondering, like, when you think of your your career as an athlete or any of those other jobs, how often do the lessons you learn there apply to the classroom?
1: Oh, every day. Every day. Every day I feel like I'm drawn on some sort of a sports quote or um, a sports analogy um, with my students. And, I mean, I'm fortunate. I, I teach at a school that's predominantly um, sports-driven, uh, but again, I think it's something that most students can relate to. And and if and if they can't relate to that, then you try to find something they can relate to. But, but for me, the idea of you know controlling what you can control, um, I, I tell that to the students all the time. Uh, in in sports, you can't control the refs. Yet you see people expend energy and waste their time and efforts on them, and you know, why not focus on the things you can control? Why not focus on your attitude? Why not focus on your effort? Why not focus, you know, on making sure that you're on time with the proper materials? Those types of things, right? And so I I, I try to instill that in the, in the students in, in the sense that if I'm going for a, a job posting and I'm doing my interview, there's certain things I'm not going to be able to control. I'm not going to be able to control what questions they ask me. But we sit there and we spend time, 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 time trying to decipher what are they going to ask me. And, and we sometimes get ourselves maybe in not necessarily the right mindset versus, okay, can I control what time I'm going to get there? Can I control, you know, if I have a good sleep, if I eat something well? You know, can I control if I get the exercise, if that's something I'd like the night before? I, and you can. And you, if you do all those things, I think what's going to happen is you'll walk into that interview in the right frame of mind and you'll be better for it. I mean, and I think I also was thinking as you're talking about
0: when you mentioned you know, a golfer who sees just the water, yeah. you, if the golfer just controls all the other things that they know that they control, don't think about that. Right. They go through the motions, right? Right. So you have to be strategic, I guess, about what you're planning and what you're thinking about and what you
1: can control. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I, I think, you know, setting attainable goals, having a plan, those types of things are, are, are important, but I think the ability to adapt. And I think that's sometimes where we get kind of stuck. Uh, I want to just talk a little bit about
0: what the process was like for you getting your job as a math teacher. For people who are thinking about becoming a teacher, what's that process like?
1: The process can be actually quite lengthy and arduous. For me, it wasn't. I was fortunate because um, of my lacrosse background, and there was a sports academy school in Edmonton that at that time needed a lacrosse-specific teacher. So I was very fortunate in the sense that I got offered a position right out of university um, that went from a probationary position to a continuous position. Um, But usually what teachers will end up having to do is they end up having to take, you know, a temporary position, a leave, or, you know, if they're lucky, they get a probationary position with one of the board's. And then from there, you're up for evaluation. And then if everything goes well, then you get recommended for continuous. And, and it can be a quite a lengthy process. Um, and, and one of the interesting pieces about it, and, and again, um, teachers can sometimes complain about it, that when you first start out, they kind of give you the dog's breakfast. You get a little bit of everything. And uh, it makes it difficult. But again, I think it's how you view it. I was fortunate in the, in, in the sense that I got a fairly decent Um, schedule when I started, but uh, if you can view those challenges as, you know, when I come through on the other side, I'm going to be so much better for it. Um, I think it'll make that time more enjoyable, but um, I was very lucky. I won't put it any other way, except I was very lucky that I came out and I had an expertise in lacrosse and there was a lacrosse position opened. Um, My wife, on the other hand, she spent eight or nine years bouncing from uh, from a temporary to a probationary and vice versa and never got a continuous contract hmm. and so um, I can only imagine the stress that would have put and the weight that would have put on her in the sense that what am I doing wrong and this and that and again I think if you get too fixated on some of that stuff I think you lose the 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 natural joy and and excitement of the experience. And, and again, I don't know the easy answer to that. I don't know if there is an answer to that, but um, teaching can be a very fulfilling uh, profession, but at the same time it can be very hard to get your foot in the door. For student athletes who are graduating, um, what
0: sort of when they're applying for jobs, what sort of skills should they highlight from their athletics if they're playing team sports um, like Lacrosse, for example? that people that are hiring might not think of, or that they might not think of as valuable skills for any job?
1: Well, I think there's a discipline to being being an athlete, whether that be team or individual. Um, Usually they have a very good ability to adapt, willingness to take on roles, um, willingness to put others, you know, first or willing to focus on a common goal. Um, being coachable, I don't think you get to a collegiate level um, if you're not coachable. So th- that ability to take information and digest it. Uh, yeah, again, I think the, you know, just the, the simple fact, there's very few, again, I mean, I watched the the basketball players run up and down the court at Seville. Like, you got to work hard to play that sport. There's no coasting. So, I mean, right off the bat, you're going to get someone who's probably reliable and hardworking who understands how the team dynamic works just because that's what they've grown up to and that's what they're accustomed to. People who've been on a team, they understand that idea that, oh, I might have to be on call this week, and that's okay, and they're not going to complain about it. They're just going to see it as what they're used to. I just think it's important that athletes realize when they're
0: training, uh, when they're doing their sports, uh, that they are developing skills that they can apply to when they're applying for jobs or interviewing or any of that.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree, and I think it's interesting when you pose that question because I I myself, having coached and and been around the sport, I don't ever tend to think of that. You just tend to, well, I'm just doing what I do, but mm-hmm. you don't see the value in what you're doing, and so I think even just you know I think one of the exercises you could do with athletes at any level is just to you know to to question them on what are some skills you're acquiring through sport.
0: All right, it's time for the lightning round made possible with the support of our preferred car, home, condo, and renter's insurance affinity partner, TD Insurance. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're stuck in a career rut
1: or that they're in a career they don't like? Change. I'll say this about that. what the, If you can change... You will forever have everyone in the world's respect because I think there's so many people out there that would love to change, but it's easy to stay where you are because it's comfortable and the world sometimes is uncomfortable, so we might as well get used to it. What would you be doing if you weren't a
0: math teacher? Stay-at-home dad. If you had to pick one, what's the favorite thing about being a math teacher? Connecting with people. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself, maybe just after you finished at Nate or at U of A, you can pick one, what, what would be the advice you'd give yourself? Slow down and enjoy life. Uh, in respect to your education, your career path, or maybe your experiences in athletics, is there
1: anything you wish you had done that you didn't? Played collegiate lacrosse in the United States. Oh, really? Really.
0: Did you have some schools
1: you wanted I to I had go? some schools, and I was lazy and never filled out the applications, and I thought that they would be knocking on my door more than they were. So I use that uh, daily with the kids, that if you want something, you better go do it. And then what was it like? Because they retired
0: your number at Rexall. Yes.
1: Very weird. Very weird. People still, uh, again, for me, I, 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 it's weird. I don't like to, to talk too much about myself. I don't think I was um, worthy, I guess, in the sense of having my number retired statistically. and um, But I can proudly say that and this is kind of one of the things people have always told me, that it didn't matter what the score was or you know what the outcome of the game was going to be. You always knew that um, if there was one thing I was going to do was put in an honest effort and give everything I had. And I, I can say I did that every single day. And um, if that's what got my uh, number in our, in the rafters, what a I think what a remarkable thing, because I think that's what we ask of people on a daily basis, but sometimes we don't reward it. So if I was rewarded on that, I can be happy with that. Excellent. Well, I think you put an honest effort into this podcast. Lots of good advice, I think, for anyone
0: who is listening today, uh, especially people who played sports, but really anyone. A lot of good, uh, good advice for me, I, I thought, as I listened. So thanks so much for agreeing to talk today.
1: Well, thanks for having
0: me. Well, that's our show. I'd like to thank Jimmy Quinlan for joining us to talk about his career journey. Next episode, my guest is alumna Wendy Wilton, who talks about workplace culture. And if you're looking for more career advice, or if you're looking to give career advice, why not try UAlberta Switchboard, a new online tool that connects you to your UAlberta community. Whether you're looking for a new job, a mentor in your field, or a volunteer experience to expand your resume, Switchboard has you covered. And best of all, it's free. Give it a try at uab.ca sboard. That's uab.ca sboard. Thanks for listening. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray.